For many people around the world, COVID-19 quickly made a drastic impact on a part of daily life, work. And for many of these workplaces, the pandemic forced leadership to quickly think about the structure of the workplace as well as the way that teams could carry out operations. On this episode of At Women's Research, Nicole Presley speaks with Dr. Lori Brado and Dr. Gina Ogilvie, our Executive Director and Associate Director, respectively, and Heather Corcoran, a leadership expert, about what it means to lead in these unprecedented times. While many of us are now facing a return to work, their reflections serve to remind us that we now face a unique opportunity to thoughtfully reconstruct our pre-pandemic workplace structures and cultures and thoughtfully and collaboratively build a new normal. Thanks everyone for joining us today on another episode of At Women's Research, the Women's Health Research Institute's podcast. As some of you may know, the WHRI's foundational goals were to facilitate research as both a real or physical and virtual organization. Now more than ever during the COVID-19 pandemic, we are finding ways to optimize those virtual aspects of research facilitation. And today I'm joined by two of the WHRI's executives and a Canadian leadership expert to discuss how to support and sustain research teams in this virtual world. So let's start things off with a round of introductions um, and let's start with our executive director, Dr. Lori Brado. Thanks so much, Nicole, and I'm very pleased to be having this conversation with you today. I'm Lori Brado, the Executive Director of the Women's Health Research Institute, one of the only pan-provincial research institutes focused on supporting research of women's health in Canada. Um, and at present, we have over 300 members across the province of BC. I get to work day to day with about a team of 15 um, and then a much larger team of uh, research assistants and others uh, at the WHR and I spend about half my time in this role. And in addition, I hold a Canada Research Chair in Women's Sexual Health, and I'm a professor in the UBC Department of Obstetrics and Gynecology. There, I have the opportunity to work with a wonderful team of about 20 trainees and students across different career stages. Uh, good morning. Really delighted to be here. Um, my name is Gina Ogilvie, and I'm the Associate Director for the Women's Health Research Institute. Um, I'm also a Canada Research Chair and a prof uh, at the University of British Columbia in the School of Population and Public Health and PI of the Global HPV Control Team. So we had to, like everyone around the world in March 2020, uh, take a big change and shift all of our team activities uh, uh, from sort of in in the office and face-to-face uh, -to, -face to a virtual presence. So really looking forward to this conversation today. And last, but certainly not least, is our special guest today, Heather Corcoran. I am really glad to be here. I have a lot of respect for what you are all doing at the Research Institute and such a, an affection for British Columbia. So I work with leaders in all sorts of organizations and with organizations themselves about effectiveness and building really healthy, vibrant cultures. And as you would expect, the topic right now is COVID, working in this pandemic. 
So it sounds like each of you have different roles with respect to uh, the types of teams that you may lead or the type of leadership that you may be interested in this, um, in, especially in this environment. Can you tell us a bit about, uh, about those teams and how you've adapted in this uh, virtual world that we've been forced into? Thanks, Nicole. I'm happy to start off. So um, there's there's really two teams that I have the pleasure of leading. One is my own research team um, in women's sexual health. And so we're a team of about 20 students, trainees, research staff, undergraduates, and volunteers. Um, and when it became apparent to us that there was going to be a very rapid shift to um, ceasing on-site work and research activities, um, it meant that we had to mobilize very, very quickly. And that involved really prioritizing what were the kinds of research and activities um, that, that really ha had to continue, um, albeit in an adapted format. And so we were actually just in the um, midst of uh, within days about to begin a face-to-face -face group with breast cancer survivors um, who had agreed to come on site in our lab at uh, Vancouver Hospital, um, had about 10 women lined up, a number of facilitators and observers, um, and had to very quickly, um, first and foremost, inform the women that this was no longer going to be possible. But because we really wanted to um, uh, continue with the, the important work, we were able to shift to an online um, group. So this is a group that meets for eight weeks. And because we shifted to online and were able to overcome some of the physical barriers, geographic barriers of being on site and paying for expensive parking, it meant that we were able to open recruitment up to women from across the entire province of BC. Um, so that was absolutely a, a silver lining moment for us um, being able to do that. The other really quick shift that we made um, in three of our research studies that involved coming into our laboratory and using some of our psychophysiological equipment um, was thanks to the creativity and ingenuity of students. And I really believe as a leader, um, sometimes the best thing we can do is get out of their way. Um, and the students with their own intuition and drive will find the answers. And they absolutely did. They found online ways of measuring objective attention and other um, domains that we were going to measure in the, in the lab. So that was uh, pretty remarkable for me to, to watch. Um, and then, of course, our team at the Women's Health Research Institute, a much larger team of about 40 staff and 300 members across the province. Um, there was also some very, very quick um, shifting and pivoting around identifying what were the core critical things that had to continue on site um, and, uh, and, and what could be mobilized and, and moved off, offline. So communication across the board with both of those teams was really critical, critical bi-directional and at some sometimes um, around the clock communication. Uh, so that's uh, those are a couple of the ways that we were able to shift very quickly early on. So maybe I'll, it's Gene Ogilvie and maybe I'll jump in next. So um, for our team, uh, like Lori, working in collaboration with the Women's Health Research Institute, so we had to make those shifts. Um, so my research team is about 20 people and it ranges again from you know, undergraduate and volunteers all the way through to very seasoned, uh, experienced researchers. And we're used to, in many ways, we're used to working uh, on site, but we also, because I do global work, 
we work virtually with those teams when we're not on site. So, you know, mid-March, like many people in Canada, we all of a sudden were not uh, able to be together on site at the at BC Women's Hospital. So for us, we were forced very quickly to figure out how do we do the day-to-day -day operations, uh, but also how do we keep our critical research going? So those were some of the sort of uh, challenges that we had to respond to right away from student needs all the way to sort of ongoing very large uh, research projects. Maybe I can jump in and just say what I'm noticing both that Laura you've talked about and Gina that you've talked about are the the way you responded and I use that word intentionally versus reacted the way you responded is really consistent with the clients I am working with. So what I heard you did is the reassessment of what are we really up to now? What's most important now? And making sense of this time, uh, which is really vital. And, and as we've gone through this pandemic, we've had to step back um, on several occasions and say, is, it, is what we thought when this began still true, right? I think we're now in a messy middle. What I also hear is how you invited people to step up and take a leadership role in making recommendations and and that leadership was coming from everywhere because you had to work differently you had to reinvent and how that invited tremendous creativity Lori you said ingenuity um, I think that type of thing is what I'm seeing in the organizations and the teams that really are meeting this pandemic in a healthy successful way I mean Heather if I can Heather if I can respond to that I think I think what you said is so critical what's so important and one of the things we did from day one was we said okay you know particularly for young people but i think for everyone the real risk of the virtual world is is isolation and not feeling that connectivity so how do we create and you know I, my, my background is is in family medicine and we spend a lot of time in mental health recognizing one of the big risks for mental health is a lack of a uh, routine, lack of a connectivity, lack of a sort of structure. And so one of the things we started right out to do was was a morning check-in. And I think, uh, and we moved very quickly to have that virtually. Now, <laughs> some of my team claim that's because I wanted to make sure everyone was out of their pajamas. I would I would say that's, uh, <laughs> that, that's not necessarily so, but there may have been an element of that. But I do think that that offered people a structure of your day is starting. Yes, and certainly for us, like for so many other research teams, COVID presented quite a number of firsts for all of us, ranging from how we do our work, how we communicate with one another, our connectivity, um, and how we continue to advance the science of the women's health research that we are um, in, engaged in. And there, there was, I'll speak for myself personally, I think maybe little in my prior leadership experience or training that really prepared me for this shift and all of the first that COVID in, introduced, you know, first time leading remotely, first time working remotely, first time homeschooling while leading and working remotely, um, first time spending so much time with my, my family. And I think recognizing <laughs> um, that, uh, you know, each of the team members were experiencing this in their own unique way some in quite positive ways, loved working from home and not commuting and found this uh, burst of energy 
that um, uh, I think only came about because of the, you know, the ability to stay present and focused and not commute, et cetera. And then, of course, for others, there was um, a lot more uh, struggle. And so what became so evident to me was um, how important it was on a regular basis to this day to check in with the team and more than just a, how are you doing, but, but a true and authentic, how are you really doing? And so in addition to the group meetings that we've, we've implemented both in the research side as in the research lab, as well as at the WHRI at large, um, I've supplemented that with additional one-on-ones that are sort of standing as people need them. And if they don't want them, we simply use it as a chance to hop onto Zoom, see each other's faces, say a quick hello, how are things? What did you make for dinner last night? Any new recipes? Um, and uh, and then the discussion is cut short. But um, it, it, that part has actually been a real joy for me is to see folks in their home environment get to know much more about their context that surrounds them and see things like pets and kids and other other uh, folks in the home making making an appearance. So you, you've all raised some really interesting um, points about, I think, this continuous adaptation. And, and going back to, to Lori, your, your comment about the WHRI, and I still vividly remember that email coming in at 2.45 on Friday the 13th, um, indicating that we were all moving remotely. And wow. And, and I mean, um, you know, just speaking to someone who has a small team, I, I remember even just doing that first check-in does every can can everyone do this as a um, you know do you have internet access do you have a laptop um, and I know that um, you've each touched on sort of um, uh, motivations and, and perhaps we can call them principles um, and I'd love to hear more about what have what your sort of principles have been the considerations that you've had in this continuous adaptation well, I can share, uh, you know, I'm hearing them. I'm hearing them being raised already, which is, and I think what's interesting about principles is that often we think we have to think very, very hard about what are the rules of the road and, and know them before we jump in. And often they emerge. And so just by what you do, you start to realize, oh, that's a principle. So what I hear Lori talking about uh, is well-being, ensuring well-being, and never before. I mean, recently, it has become more popular to care about the whole person, but never before has it really been essential. And this is, there are some leaders who are naturally able, who like Lori says, this is wonderful, I love, and for others, this is a whole new stretch. So I think ensuring well-being is a big one. Establishing a new rhythm, that's also what I heard, is instead of our weekly one-on-one, like with Gina saying, we're going to say hello every day and see how you are. That, so being open to establishing a new rhythm. Uh, and so I think what's interesting about this time is to take a look at what you're actually doing and what are those principles uh, that you've just realized are really necessary because nobody has the answers here. You know, we are creating the answers. Yeah, I think I think for us, I I, I totally agree, Heather, and I think that it it has really sort of made us step back and go, okay, so what what is important? So for us, 
Um, another thing that was important was for people to feel like they were making some progress. Now, progress every day in your work might be a very small thing because if you've got little kids at home, if you're trying to homeschool, if you're trying to make sure the internet is up and running, progress for that day might look very different than progress for another day. But that sense of you know feeling like even if it's a small step that they're moving forward, we, re we recognized on our team that was really important for some people. I think for us, uh, having a team that had a lot of women, we all know women have a lot of roles. And so having a team that made space for that um, different reality for women. So one of the things for our Zoom, we've actually moved to all Zoom calls instead of teleconferences. One of the reasons is actually kids do a lot better when they can join in. So we'll have the little kids sit on mom, mom's lap, because in our case, it's all the mom, and they're waving and the whole, the, the meeting's going on and we're waving to them and they are waving and they'll kind of sit there for 20 minutes just watching. And uh, one, of our, one of our postdocs said that her daughter now does, does mom work. So she sits in front of a, a TV and sort of points at it and, 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 and puts her head. And, it's, it's, uh, and that's something that that, that principle of recognizing that was important that we understand that need for flexibility, but also that need for accomplishment. For me, it's really the, the values of um, equity and being woman-centered. And in fact, those are two values that are part of our WHRI strategic plan. Um, and so it wasn't at all surprising to me to watch our groups um, really be led by those two values of being woman-centered um, and through a, a pure equity lens. And so that meant that we couldn't adhere to, let's say, an eight to four work schedule, because for some people that simply did not align with their other responsibilities in, in their life and in their day. And so, of course, that meant that some staff and students and others did their best work from 9 p.m. to 1 a.m. And of course, when I saw emails coming in at 1 a.m., um, my first concern was, oh my gosh, are they working around the clock? Um, and I learned that actually in checking in one-on-one, -on -one, that those staff and those students actually preferred to work at that time because then it meant that they could do other things during the daytime, like parent and take care of elders, um, what have you. Um, so that so having those two values for me being woman centered and through a lens of equity meant um, that there was an inherent flexibility in how we did our work. And that means having meetings sometimes that were again not in the the eight to four uh, eight to four time. Um, and that became really important. And I think um, in articulating that, um, it validated people where they were at. And in turn, they felt more kind of committed to, uh, to, uh, to the collective whole. So it's not about what works best for our schedule as leaders, but it is about meeting the team where they're at and, and having some flexibility in doing that. Yeah, it sounds like... Um... The, the opportunity to co-build something as well when you're responding and, and creating that flexible environment. I just want to say I love hearing this. I think you, you probably all saw the what came out from the World Health Organization just recently and talking about where how we're headed towards a mental health crisis. And clearly the groups they identified, not surprisingly, the groups they identified were healthcare workers or anybody in the uh, medical field, but also children and then women. 
And I, I mean, it just makes all the sense in the world and my heart sank to see it. And so the kinds of things you're talking about, Lori, about, and, and Gina, about really allowing the reality of, a, of, a, of someone's work and life to be part of what you're considering and um, supporting, I, I think, is the way to address the, the mental health risk mm-hmm. here. Yeah, I, I wanted to add a bit more, um, just my perspective around equity. I mean, it means so many things, but it also means to me, to a certain extent, dismantling hierarchies where they're not needed. Now, of course, hierarchies serve a purpose and they're useful um, in all of our work, but they're not universally useful and in fact can get in the way. Um, And so for me, it meant um, revealing more of myself, including where and when I was struggling. Um, And our, we have three kids, our youngest um, has uh, not been doing great at the homeschooling, let's just say, and it's been incredibly stressful. Um, And uh, rather than sort of, you know, pocket that away and buckle down and lead the teams, um, I would own that vulnerability uh, because that was my reality in the moment. And so if that meant that, you know, I was totally lost the day's agenda or couldn't find the emails that were critical to that meeting, you know, that's where I was at. And and for me, I think it also um, gave others on the team permission to do the same in a way that, uh, again, just united us in this, uh, this online and very remote community. But in some ways, I'd argue, you know, I feel even more connected now than I did, than I did before in, in some very strange ways, but I will, I will take it. (laughs) Um, Lori, I would, I would really concur because I think hierarchy is a great example of what one of the you know, benefits, and if I hate, you know, if I can use the word of, of, about this situation, is it does force you to look very closely at why are we doing things? Why did we do them the way we did them? And what what's the reason? What do we want to retain? I, I mean, I've had lots of, of people talk about, you know, the the value of the connectivity being in person, but I've got a lot of folks who actually do really well with the quiet and the ability to work in a quiet space and with sort of uninterrupted space, that's been a real benefit for them. So I think, I think one of the things that we want to do, because you know, there will be a time when this gets lifted and is to really look at what do we want to retain from this? What have we learned? But, but what, all, what also though, do we want to go back to? What, what have we been missing? And I think that'll be a really important conversation uh, and a really important that you know hopefully that type of conversation is is value and mission driven and not sort of just convenience driven well we or this is what we've always done so let's just go back to it i really think you know to take this from a sort of a crisis to sort of an opportunity you know something that i'm sure all three of you have been doing which is reflecting on um, as some of these, um, as our, our restart plan um, initiates, as we start thinking about returning back to work, um, and and maybe we should maybe start with what we what we don't want to keep, uh, but but also what we what we do, what are um, some of the practices? You know, like like you mentioned, some folks want to keep the Zoom. Um, what about hierarchy? Um, do, do we have any things that? Um, yeah, that, that we can start thinking about actioning soon. 
I mean, I, I can jump in first. I mean, I think uh, the things that I, I want to keep, and I'm, I'm someone who does has the privilege of doing a lot of global health work. And uh, mm-hmm. so I've always felt very uncomfortable about our carbon footprint. And I've always tried to minimize the amount of travel that we do. But there is an expectation, or there was an expectation that in order to move forward, you know, you physically needed to be there, you physically. And so for me, that shift in perception has been really important. And so our work in Uganda and our work in Rwanda, I think really, you know, shifting it to say, let's let's leverage the expertise in Rwanda, in Uganda, in South Africa, let's leverage that expertise. And as uh, North Americans, we, we will partner, but take away some of that expertise. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to, to that shift because uh, I think that's really going to be really important for the um, environment. I'm really looking forward to the the, the ongoing flexibility. I remember uh, both both Heather and I have kids who are sort of high school to university age, and as does Lori. And I remember when my kids were little, how inflexible my my workplace was. It was 8:30 you started and 4:30 you left, and there wasn't an understanding that. I could actually do this, but if I could just leave work at quarter to three, that would have just made my life so much easier for picking up the kids. So I really want to take that flexibility forward where we say what's important is that these sort of tasks get done, but I'm not going to tell you how to do them uh, because I'm going to trust you as a as someone who is a professional, who is co- is committed to the work to do it. Uh, I'm not going to tell you when and during what time in the day to do it. So those are two things I'm actually really want to make sure we keep. You know, as we go I, forward. I think the some of the things we've touched on here are, are in various ways are things I hope we continue to take forward, like seeing people's humanity. I mean, I remember there was a time when having a child on a Zoom call was something to be ashamed of, right? Embarrassed. There was that BBC video of the guy who was hor- being interviewed and horrified that his wife and children walked in. And, and, and I'm so glad that is gone. So I hope we continue to take that forward. I think this term, what is essential, I hope we take forward. Uh, just this morning, I was talking to an emergency room doctor, and she was saying what a relief it was for her in the hospital, that what they had done was really focus on what she's there to do, which is treat people's illnesses, not on her demeanor or the variety of other things. I mean, they had loosened what the expectation was to the essential. And her therefore, uh, she was feeling more focused and supported. So that, I hope we take that kind of essential forward. I think uh, the the thing that this the system has been exposed in this time, uh, we're able to see it in all sorts of ways. Like an example would be a, a friend of mine talked about who talked about having her whole family home and found that she was making every meal. And while she had always she had always been the one who was the food provider, there was something so stark that said, "Wait a minute, why is this my responsibility?" Right? And that's showing up everywhere. And some of those aren't easy fixes. Some of it we're starting to see and say, well, what do we learn from this? What conversations are we having and what solution comes, what solutions are there? So so I think we're still in some messiness about really seeing what is being exposed. 
and being in the conversation to say, well, how do we learn from this rather than it snapping back? Maybe I'll add one more um, in terms of one of one of the real gifts for me that this um, situation has afforded is um, many of the kind of what we call institutional silos, right? So in my own department, even we are spread disparately across four different hospitals and sites across the entire city, never really cross paths with one another um, when we're working on site. And now for the last uh, 10 weeks or so that we've been working online, I see these folks all the time. <laughs> and I feel like, wow, it took a pandemic to break down silos. And in fact, not only am I seeing and interacting with people in my own department, um, the number of new relationships um, that I and so many others have formed um, in the effort to kind of come together around COVID, either through research or changes um, in our institutional practices and policy, uh, but the the number of incredible people um, in in uh, just sort of the much broader than WHRI uh, location has has been a real gift. Um, that uh, that I don't want to lose. And I'm already thinking, how can we maintain that um, as we go forward back into our physical and geographic silos? How can we maintain that connection with all of these, these new relationships that we've formed? Does anyone have the answer to that? <laughs> <laughs> Heather, Heather, I'm it's looking to you. I, you know, I, I don't think... It <laughs> Well, it's really, it's conversations yeah. like these. It's conversations <laughs> by stepping back with your team and saying, what are we learning together? You know, that I was, I was really struck by this just the other day. I was speaking to someone who is really thoughtful about this field and has been in the field of learning and organizational development a long, long time. And we were learning from each other. And one of the things we talked about is how sense-making. People need to have these kind of conversations, whether in the team or in the larger organization, to say, what are you, just like you're asking us, Nicole, how are you making sense of this time and what are the learnings and what do we take it forward? And that's the way it's you start to create the future. So uh, I, it, we've talked a bit about the some of the goods that are some of the positives that we want to want to retain. But, um, you know, just even in my own um, space, I, I wonder as we, you know, transition back um, and, and we all have teams that we work with, um, what, what do we do about some of the practical things that that we're used to? You know, I haven't worn pantyhose in two months and, um, <laughs> you know, is <laughs> Is that going to change? <laughs> yeah, like, uh, you know, there's, I, I, I look to you as, as leaders um, to, to give us a bit of insight into, yeah, because things have been relaxed. Yes, there's so much good that comes out of uh, seeing people in their space, in their homes. It's very intimate. Um, and so what happens when we move back into that structure that seems incredibly structured now that we've not been in it for two months. <laughs> yeah, 
You know, I, I have to plead guilty on the <laughs> nylon front. I don't think I've worn nylons for years. So, uh, so liberate I, myself. I welcome you to that side of the that yes. side of the pond, Nicole. Um, Absolutely. Li- liberate yourself. Liberate yourself. Um, you know, I, I do want to be clear, though, that, that there are some things that, that we lose with the, the virtual world. I mean, for me, um, I, I had a meeting earlier this week uh, at an institution. And so, again, if you think about that TED talk about fluid networks, there was someone there who I know casually. We started chatting. Turns out some of his research right now is very uh, aligned with what we're doing. And within sort of 45 minutes, we created a new partnership that is really, I think, going to help some of the work we're doing around COVID. That that wouldn't have happened if I hadn't been around because it's not something I would have reached out to him to ask about. And he wouldn't, not because we don't like each other or anything, just it, it wasn't sort of something I thought about. So one of my concerns is that we have lost that sort of fluid network where you kind of bump into someone and come up with an idea. So it's, it's, it's hard to recreate that. I think depending on your personality, um, some of us get more energy. You know, we all need our sort of moments to just to sort of be by ourselves, but some of us get more energy around being with different people. And so, so I do think there are things that if we want to keep elements of the virtual world, we also have to respect that. One of the things that I would also just say is that a lot of our virtual relationships right now are based on previous relationships. So, Lori, I think you talked about that that structure that's allowed you to create new relationships. But we've also leveraged a lot of existing relationships. So, how do we create new relationships? Um, it, you know, in a, in this sort of world. And I think there there are ways to do it. I but I I would just flag that our there are some things that I think I will look forward to and look forward to sort of going back to. I, I would. I would say one of the things I think a lot of people are, are looking forward to going back to is a different structure, a, being in a different physical location with a structured time that they're focused on work and an environment that reinforces that. So the so many people in going into uh, working virtually, a lot of the concern is, oh, the productivity is going to be down and nobody's going to be accountable and how am I going to know what they're doing? Well, actually there is more concern about burnout uh, when the when your work and life are completely merged and when everything's upended it's more often that people work too much and then you add that to being in front of a computer all day long physically incredibly taxing for the body i mean we all thought zoom was the greatest thing and then we realized it wasn't because of the toll it could take so it can actually being in a in work environment can be healthier for people in all sorts of ways, um, given the enormous amount you need to do to create a structured work life and and a physically healthy work life when working virtually. Yeah, for me, um, I love the the question, Nicole, and it makes me think in sort of an idealistic way. How can we retain the best of both? right? How can we retain the humanity, the the connection, the deep concern for one another's well-being um, that I've certainly seen over the last 10 weeks in a way that I've never seen before in a workplace setting, um, while um, retaining or going back to or developing a new normal of some of the things we had before. For me, um, one of the things I deeply, deeply miss is touch. 
Um, and I, um, I love to physically connect with the people I work with. I am that person at the meeting that will sit very close to you. <laughs> I will reach my arm out and, and, and touch your hand. That is me. With permission, I can read body cues. Um, and I, I miss that so much. I miss touch and I miss um, that, just that, that, that communication that can't happen through words. Um, and I can't wait to go back to that with people who will let me. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I mean, I would love to see some kind, kind of deep analysis of the things that we've learned and gained and grown from um, as a result of working remotely. Um, and how do we infuse some of those things as we gradually go back to reconnecting with people face to face. I sort of want a how to manual, right? So <laughs> keep these things that you've learned and go back to these old things that you've learned. Mm. Um, I realize that that's idealistic, but I also know that there are so many new gifts that we've acquired during this time um, that we, we can't let go of. We can't, we can't, we can't let go of, of that, that, I mean, for me, empathy is the antidote to absolutely everything. And I can't imagine um, not continuing to really um, kind of thrive from that. Well, I mean, we work at a research institute, so I mean, maybe there's a future survey we can, <laughs> we can collect and operationalize <laughs> this information. <laughs> maybe with Heather's, Heather's tips, if she has some, some frameworks we can use. That sounds like a great idea. <laughs> well, this has been fascinating conversation and it feels like just the beginning of a very important dialogue. So um, Heather, I hope that you'll accept future invitations to, to join us. And to close off today, I think we really wanna be mindful of who our audience is, and that's all the folks in the women's health research sphere. So all of those clinicians, researchers, trainees, uh, research facilitators, patient partners, uh, et cetera. And so um, are there any final messages that we wanna send out to our community during this, during this time? Well, I've loved being with you. I, I love hearing about how you're approaching this work and uh, it's like so thoughtful and smart and so full of heart at the same time. I think when I think about your mission or part of your mission is about encouraging excellent and excellence and innovative thinking in women-centered health research. And I think about how this is such an innovative time and what the opportunity is, what the competency is that um, can be developed in this time is courage. And, and, and I offer that because that's both a heart-centered competency and it's also an intellectual one. And it's one that's really needed in these times. And it's a time when a lot of people would play it safe. And there, there's an appropriate ways of playing it safe, like over your own health. But in the work you do, it's a great time to tackle really difficult problems and to persevere and to take the lead on unpopular but necessary actions. Uh, in support of the work you're doing. Um, so this is the time to be courageous uh, and, and, and continue the excellence in the work you're doing. So thank you so much for 
inviting me to join you. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Heather. That was um, beautiful. It, it sounds like um, perhaps Courage to Innovate can be the title of our next uh, podcast. Um, thank you three mm -hmm. for joining us today. Um, this was just fantastic, really important conversation to have and uh, very excited to see um, as this dialogue. If you have an idea for an episode or have some research of your own to share, let us know. Send us an email at whri.communications at cw.bc.ca. For more information about WHRI, follow us on social media using the handle at Women's Research or check out our website at whri.org.